Hello, everyone, and welcome back to RPG R&D. I am your host, Jess Geyer. I'm one half of Wannabe Games. I make tabletop role-playing games, and I am here with my co-host, Craig Campbell. Hello, Craig. Hi, Jess. I am Craig Campbell. I own Nerdburger Games and make a whole bunch of games, too, and publish them and uh, occasionally publish games for other people. And uh, we are here once again with Vidithia. Hello! Hey, everyone. Thank you for having me on again. Hey. Yeah, thanks for coming back. I, I'm excited to have you back on. Uh, and uh, let's let's give the audience a little info on you. Yeah, uh, so uh, my name is uh, Vidithia Valetti. I am an interactive artist and game designer um, and also like a design consultant. Uh, I uh, continue to work in education now, too. That's like an ongoing part of my career. So games educator, mentor, and, and stuff like that, which I think... Uh, comes into play with today's topic yeah and we were we were talking about this topic because we're we were uh deciding like we have a we have a topic that is pretty big it's a pretty um foundational topic something that comes up in a lot of conversations that i have with other designers and and people that run games um and we we decided to change a little bit of the topic to cover game design from the perspective of designing to make sure that whoever is running our game can start their campaign on the right on the right foot. Craig, you were able to explain this in in better <laughs> words than I was. Sure. It's uh well, we typically, you know, have covered like a GMing topic and a game design topic and sometimes uh, very well related, sometimes just tangentially related to each other. Um, but we decided to put the chocolate in the peanut butter this time, which is to say, you know, kind of get deep, dig deep into the process of starting a game design and that topic in general, but also kind of peppered in with uh, the idea of, you know, with a mind toward how can we give uh, the game, everything it needs, and therefore give the GM more of what they need to be able to run a campaign. We we in the indie realm so often design games that are very conducive to one shots and very conducive to uh, to sh very short campaigns, like just mini, like you know, two three episode kind of things. Um, and it it is a struggle I know all of us have with getting people who are interested. Um, in playing in a longer term campaign of, a, of, of an indie game because it involves oftentimes like learning a new rule set and so forth. And that's a struggle that players out there and groups out there have like, you know, um, <clears throat> is, do we want to switch up from this game that we've been playing for so long to try out this other thing? Um, and, you know, is there enough meat there? And is there enough uh, tools in place to to kind of turn this into a campaign? And therefore, you know, this this I think would help indie designers and GMs um, coming into indie games to find games that are going to be conducive to get players on board with the idea like this is this is there's enough meat there's there's stuff going on here that we can we can take we can learn this game and it's not going to be just like oh learn a rule set to run it and play it once or twice but we can do a campaign we can have a longer term um, commitment to this particular game even if that longer term commitment really just means 10 game sessions but it you know it might mean playing for a year it might who knows but let's let's uh see where that all takes us so um starting with just kind of how and where and how when and you know what's the process like where do you start Vidithia when with a game idea of just like getting the first ball rolling <laughs> yeah I mean like that's um 
Well, I, this is a question I, 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 you know, a top, you mentioned it also, like a topic that we talk all the time as game designers with each other. It's like, oh, where do you start? Like, that's always a, a common one. And I found that I, I feel like I'm in a minority of people that primarily 80% of the time I go system first. Like I'm a, ooh, I have like a fun little idea for what I think an interesting mechanic would be uh kind of themeless and then i find a theme for it or or then like a theme kind of comes up or or even if i'm like oh i want to make a game about i don't know like you know it's like like i i I like to i fall on sci-fi a lot that's like my go-to so i'm like all right i know i like making sci-fi games this will probably some form of sci-fi like where do my like what are my dice doing or like you know where what kind of a what kind of a mechanical system is like interesting me so that's usually where i start i'm curious do you do y'all kind of start there or are you like uh i i think a genre first you're one of the only people i've ever heard say that i start with a system first i have an interesting mechanic idea and then i come up with an idea for the game um, most of the other people i speak to are the opposite they have they have and i feel like i'm I'm that way too. Like I have an idea for something mm-hmm. I want to do, but uh, then I need to marry a mechanic to it that works for it. Um, but I'm also I'm I'm much more of a a flavor and and mm-hmm. let's let's write some interesting text than I am a let's come up with an interesting mechanic uh, person. Alex, my my partner, um, and my husband, who is also my partner in game writing, is the mechanics person. I feel like in our partnership. Uh, maybe he would have a different idea, but no, I I am the opposite of you. That is that is so interesting. I love that. I, it's I thought so. I was like, I feel I feel like a minority in that sense, but like I like it, and, it, and it's I don't know. I yeah, we'll we'll get into it. But I'm, I'm curious also. Like Craig, what about yeah. you? Where are you? Um, I'm in the same boat as Jess for the most part. Mm. Um, you know, it usually comes out of like the idea of what the game is, what the characters do, what the story is about, that sort of thing, and then finding mechanics and developing mechanics that that fit that. Um, but that's not entirely true because I have uh, done it the other way around. Um, uh, sort of because I developed uh, the the system for Good Strong Hands. And then found myself thinking, okay, what can I do with this system with other genres? How can I make this like mm. the peripheral, the the core mechanical stay the same? Like what dice you're rolling and how your target numbers work will more or less stay the same. But there's peripheral things that you can kind of tune to different types of genres and kind of the way you want the the game to present and interact with the the theme of the game, um, the way you want the mechanics to interact with the theme. So that's I kind of did that with Nowhereville and with Code Warriors both. It was starting with like I've got this mechanics and like i think that like like can i do it as a horror thing like can i build yeah. can i use this system to simulate a particular type of horror story um and then i started looking for ideas that fit that and you know my my list of things that i love about horror starts with stephen king very high on the list um and so you know that i you know that's one of the thing one of the first things i explored was the idea of like okay kind of a stephen king style small town game small town horror game um and i and then i kind of you know took that mechanic and um mold before i even really had the world before i really knew much more than just like oh it's going to be a stephen king style horror thing like what can i do with the mechanics that's interesting that you know these little peripheral pieces that are a little different 
And I started exploring that and then just kind of fit the theme to that once I found like an interesting uh, a way to tweak the mechanic. Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of like, and and again, I, I preface with like 80% of the time I'm mechanic first, theme second. So there's a lot of my games I've also made that are, I've started with like a setting and then I'm like, oh, what kind of mechanics do I want to go with? But what you were talking about with like, oh, like what story fits in here? Like what, you know, when you start with the mechanics, it's, I enjoy that puzzle, the puzzle of it where I'm like, oh, this feels nice okay like can this be a horror thing like is this increasing tension is this a mechanic that increases tension or like i have an idea for i have a tension mechanic and then generally that's like ooh, tension means horror so like let me think about that a little bit and see you know where does um what other mechanics should i bring in and like where's the flavor that actually brings this to life uh but i do enjoy like playing around that too you know where you're like this is a resource management system so i i'm like oh i, I like i want to make a game for me like that that kind of catalyst of when i want to make a game is often i it used to be this more but it still kind of happens where i see like an opinion online not this is not like a discourse thing but it's like a i'll take like ammo counting as an example where it's like oh like people don't like ammo counting um, and I go, okay, well, like, what if I make a game where ammo canting is fun? Like, that's like the, pu- <laughs> that's the puzzle accepted, for me. Yeah. yeah and it's, <laughs> and it's not out of like hostility or, or like, oh, I'll show them. It's more like, okay, like that seems like a fun way to kind of get my brain to think in a way. And that'll like spiral into a full that, game. Or something. That makes me think of Paris Gondo. The, uh, what's the subtitle for the game? Yeah, Paris, Gondo, Paris the, Gondo, the magic of, of inventorying. It's basically a game about what? keeping track of your inventory. <laughs> I'm gonna find it. I um, love that, but like that's the thing, right? It's like nobody, like, oh my god, like the, I hate like keeping track of encumbrance and ammo counting and things like that. And I'm like, okay, like that makes sense because it it feels like bloat on a bigger system. You know, if we're talking about Dungeons and Dragons, really any edition, right? Like any edition you're playing, a lot of people don't really care for that. Um, uh, other games too, like, but that's just kind of the first trad game that yeah. came to mind. It's, uh, it's, it's called the the life saving magic of inventory I love that. <laughs> it's by I... callum from the released pod um yeah yeah and, and, uh, yeah what if we make a game that's all about that that like the fun is keeping track of your inventory the challenge is keeping track of your inventory it's not he... bloat it's the point <laughs> and there's a lot of little things like that i mean i i love it's not the way that i usually design again it's not I, I have had mechanic ideas and built a game around that before, yeah. but it's just not the primary way I design. Um, there, there's a lot of little mechanics that I find personally very fascinating, like components in D and D. I love the idea yeah. of components. Like I, I want, I want you to give me a whole scene as my DM where I'm just foraging in the forest and I'm rolling randomly to figure out what spells I'm going to be. I want that in my life. Um, yeah. But that's that's not that game. I and I I think. I think that's one of the great things about being a game designer is that you could start on either end of this spectrum or even both at the same time. But, you yeah. can't really do that with a lot of other, <clears throat> you can't really do that with like other forms of writing. You can't, <laughs> you can't come up with like, Oh, I, I know I'm going to have a climax build. Like, yeah, every story's going to have that. Yeah. Um, but you can do it with stuff like art, like, oh, I have this really pretty paint. I want to use this to make a painting. And I mm-hmm. think that that's a really fun thing about about game design. 
um, where it lends itself more to like that visual form of art, even from the textual medium. I think that that's really cool. Yeah, I, I think like ultimately the the like you know if we if we also want to talk about like kind of advice about like starting to make a game, uh, I think both sides of this can lean into the um, it's good to start with limitations. Uh, and and that can either be a mechanical idea that's your limitation, right? Like I want to make a game about inventory management. Cool, you've made your box to just start in. And similarly with like the flavor side, this like it's like oh I want to make a game about vampires. Uh, and well, I guess Blood Being Badlands started with which is one of my games was like I want to make it about vampires in a world where the sun doesn't set. Like that's a fun just pitch that's like your one pitch and so that was my limitation and then it kind of went from there um but it's that you know when you the the paint thing it's like i want to i oh i have this beautiful purple what can i make with that like there's your that's your like starting limitation and i think it it, it gets rid of a lot of the um anxiety of starting because you're like cool, i have my first step i have goal number one i just need to worry about this one thing and then it'll expand as i go and that that kind of brings it into like the designing for someone's first campaign your your job as the game designer is to give them those limitations you're giving them like the railway is within to build a world or to explore in and that can take a lot of the the mental lift out of the GM who is about to sit down with six people and hopefully keep them entertained for a long period of time, an extended period of time. Um, if you give them like, oh, this is a game about inventory management. And even if there's no setting involved in that, you are automatically thinking of like, what are what are times that my inventory is important? Hiking, camping, um, yeah. packing for things, going on adventures and packing for things, moving, like all making a store. Like there's so many... So many places you could go for that from that. And then when you as like the game designer add a setting onto it, you're providing another limitation for them. Not necessarily a limitation in that negative connotation sense, but those guardrails. You're you're yeah. giving them the sandbox within to play and all of the toys to play with. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, uh, I mean, it, I love that we've, we've stuck with inventory management because it's like, it could be a game about adventuring but it can also be, you mentioned like hiking and camping. It's like a game about a road trip or something, right? Like any yeah. of these is like all the, the the tension of that story and the tension of the campaign is self-evident to a degree where you're like, okay, cool. I got to care about what I pack. I got to, tension will come if I didn't pack the right thing or we run out of stuff. It, you know, the, the story kind of, yeah, like it unfolds on itself of like, okay, I know what the problem is and I know the solution and I know, yeah, I love it. <laughs> And I, I, I feel like one of the pitfalls that sometimes, um, you know, I, I can fall into, I have fallen into and others do as well, particularly new, newer designers, people kind of getting their legs for it is um, going too big and broad with either the mechanics or the setting or the theme of the game. Um, I've, I've been privy to many conversations of a person talking about a game they want to design or that they're in the process of designing and, um, you know, and, and just to, uh, you know, to, to pick on a common trope, again, we fall back on D and D all the time, right? It's like a game about adventuring. Well, what does adventure, adventure, what does that mean? Adventuring how, what are you doing? Um, and have, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll ask the person like, well, adventuring how, where, you know, like what, for, for, why are the, why are, why are you adventuring? 
Um, where is the adventuring taking place? Like, what is the hook that kind of makes it different than other quote unquote adventuring games? Because as much as D&D is a quote unquote adventuring game, it also has a very specific feel to it. It's about, um, you know, moderately capable characters becoming godlike over the course of time and going from saving their town to saving the universe. Um and, you know, the whole game system is built to kind of take you to these higher and higher level spells and bigger bonuses and more magic items and cooler stuff um, and tougher monsters that you couldn't possibly face when you were low level. Um, so and, and all within, you know, like a medieval sword and sorcery realm. And then there's the variations of D&D where Dragonlance has that epic feel and Dark Sun has that, you know, survival, um, terrible world that you're living in. And, um, you know, Ravenloft is horror based and so forth. So they they further to use uh, just just his term they further tighten um the uh, the boundaries um of what yeah. the game is going to be about i mean those are those are all like great examples i think of like the the pitfall right where it's like okay well i want to make a, a you know primarily people's first games will be 5e especially in this day and age and it's like oh i want to make a i was there i like i started designing a pathfinder first edition heartbreaker that was like my first big game and i'm like oh okay well it's got to have all these different things because i've played a pathfinder game that's like uh, a magic school and a classic fantasy and also a city game like so it's, it's like oh i have to make a system that can tell all these different types of stories all under the same lens of whatever but then you're mentioning like it's, it's like oh like dragonlance epic fantasy uh, ravenloft horror um like uh what is it like eberron's also got its own stuff going on so it's like those could be their own game better curated to the story that it's telling even within the d20 system just like you know if the if the create that limitation you're making a horror adventuring game is very different than an epic fantasy game than an epic adventuring game i feel like this is another one of the industry like weird things about about games than any other thing if it was a video game you would not consider the million different first person shooters to all be the same game just because they're all a first person shooter there's like there's a whole range of genres of them but the fact that we consider something like oh yeah D D and you're playing it in ravenloft is the same game as the same game as dark sun is the same game as dragonlance is the same game as etc 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 i mean yeah it does use the same mechanics and it's all it's all labeled under the same thing from a video from a video game designer's point of view, however, a lot of those games are very similar because they're going to be built the same way. Yeah. Um, it's just that with a video game, typically most of the mechanics are invisible. Like most of right. how the game functions just is, you know, happens inside the computer. So I think, you know, and and there's like this is somebody who's never designed a video game, you know, spouting on about video game design. So I but I assume that there's, you know, there's certain tried and true methods and there's certain ways of kind of programming and doing things that get used over and over. Um the same way the D20 system gets used by different D variants and other games that are licensed with it and so forth. But you're you're absolutely right. There's mm -hmm. um there there's there's a definite because it's so visible to the well, players, it starts to feel like like, oh, this is all quote unquote the same, even though there's you know significant differences. But you know, I think speaking to Vidithia's point about like Eberron 
like as an example, like if, if Eberron was designed as a game and D&D didn't exist, but what Eberron is was designed as a game, you could do something with the D20 system with, you know, using a D20 as your core mechanic. And there could be all sorts of interesting things that you might do to fit that Eberron theme. But it would ultimately, ultimately probably look quite a bit different from the norm, from the, what we think of as the D20 system, because it's not starting from that base point. It's inventing what it needs to be, um, which is something that, you know, as a designer, you can do as well. You can take the concept of like, oh, I'd like to roll a D20 because I like that swingy die and I like to have bonuses and penalties. Um, and then throw away everything else that has to do with the D20 system, throw away the six stats, you know, throw away yeah. how the skills work, throw away the, the, the weapons working, you know, weapon damage working that way. Um, and just have a D20 swingy fun die. And there's, there are systems that do that. There are games that like use, use a D20, but, um, and with bonuses and penalties and sometimes rolling more than one and, you know, some of the things that yeah. we associate. So, you know, as when you're starting to design, you might find yourself looking at, from you know if you're starting with the mechanics you might start looking at the things that different games do and not necessarily saying oh well now i have to go down the road of all the things that are recognized few core features and then branch you know into very different places i like that that kind of is a good segue into like another thing that i really that so I I like, you know, I like making games. That's not what I'm trying to say. We all like making games. But it's, um, you know, I, I enjoy making little concepts that I will put in a work in progress and be, you know, put in a Google Drive and be like, maybe I'll come back to this later or whatever. Um, or like, uh, I'm a big fan of just like just getting to a table as quick as possible when it comes to starting a game, um, which is, another thing that we can talk about but before i before i get too lost the thing about like video games and the thing about starting with what you know um is like uh the like video game designers because I've, I've done some video game design i i i understand digital game making i don't make a ton of them but i learned to and have had to teach some um simple digital game design and like that idea of like, all right, well, a lot of FPS games start with the same stuff. Like you literally just kind of port in. Um, either you port in or you just go like, I, I don't need to think about it. I just, the first thing that you code is like WSD um, movement. Uh, you kind of understand the values of what jump feels good in games and you get your mouse movement all down and you're like, all right, cool. I ported in literally the basic template of an FPS and then you actually start messing with it so yeah like a a lot of fps games are coming at it from the same perspective and or from the same template and you could do that with um with tabletop games exactly what you were saying where it's like well i like this Uh, you know this is where like hacks and things come in but uh where, where i'm trying to get at is like you know these work so it's like if, when you when i start to make a game i i'm like all right i know a d20 feels this way or i'm like i like d6s i've made a bunch of d6 pool systems i don't need to test or i don't need to really write out oh i'm rolling a bunch of d6s and i'm looking for sixes or whatever like that i know works i know i like whatever let me start writing the weird stuff like let me start writing this <laughs> stuff i'm not 
sure about. And then that like, and then I start working on what's exciting to me as quick as possible, rather than feeling like, oh, I gotta, you know, like, oh, I gotta start writing down a skill list. And I'm like, no, skill list comes last. What, I, what I'm excited <laughs> about is like, I have a strange, like, I have an idea for a strange um, relationship map mechanic that also, you know, that like is what looking for sixes in a deep pool system is going to do or something, right? Does that like I feel like I rambled for a second. Does that make sense of like where, no, it does. where that came from? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it does. I, I think that's a common way people build their games too. Like you start with something you already know. Um and then you you find out what you want to do with it that makes it unique. You have that relationship map system or whatever it ends up being and that's the thing you highlight in your game design. It's also how you do campaigns, like as as a GM too. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I am I'm gonna do Ravenloft, but there's a twist. Uh, yeah. It turns out Strad, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna gender bend, and now <laughs> now Strad is a lady. Like whatever it yeah. is, whatever <laughs> it ends up being. I, I that was the least creative thing I've ever said in my life. <laughs> hey Jess, it's all right. It's doing it for me. I'm totally down with 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 Lady Strad. Stra- <laughs> down with Lady Strad. Writing it down. I'm sure it's Countess, already been done. Countess yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the I think that. Bedithia making the point too that like getting into the thing that excites you the most very yeah. quickly and ideally if that thing is like something that's central to the game um mm-hmm. that does two things first of all it gets you going on everything like the word a great way to stop yourself from progressing on an idea is to immediately tackle the type of the part of the thing that you hate like i'll just get this out of the way no you'll hit a wall and you'll be like this sucks i don't want to design this I'm, i don't feel like i'm getting anywhere and then you maybe you'll maybe get not be excited about it anymore and um, stop designing but, the game and stop designing the game move on to something else um but i feel like that you can also like if you if you're getting into the thing that's going to be very something that's going to be central to the game and it's very interesting and exciting and you're you're enjoying exploring it that also will tell you that like this is something that should definitely be described with enough depth in the game that the GM is going to latch on and understand, okay, this is important. This is something that is central to the game. Um, like if you are excited about this character relationship matrix and how these are going to work with each other, like make sure that that gets significant word count in the game of describing that and providing examples or little little graphic representations of what you're doing um because that becomes you know central to the game and it gives the gm like uh we talk about it all you know we've we talked about it before where everything you put in the book kind of tells the the reader what's important like if you bury a table somewhere okay that's probably not terribly important but if you spend six pages listing types of equipment um, okay, this game is very much about like having cool gear and make sure you service that. Um, and then the players in the GM are going to know like, well, that's that's a big part of the game is like making sure we're outfitted. We're going to have shopping trips in this game. Like we're going to, characters are going to min-max and find cool combos and and, and cool, cool gear to have. And they're going to want to buy the supplement that has more gear in it and so forth. Um, and that you as a, as a, as the writer, when you're kind of getting all this information across, whether it be in the player and general rule, like everybody reads this section of the book or in the GM section of, or section of the book or the GM book um, is providing 
that information with a fair focus and making sure that like, this is going to be central, like give it its own chapter or its own major heading, make sure it has like, um, this is for a little further down the road, but just to speak to it, like make sure it has a cool, you know, cool graphics that describe it or really an illustration that really gets the point across or, you know, yeah. don't, don't just bury it in text. Make sure that if it's got cool tables, make, 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 you know, do tables and have the information pre presented, um, clearly and cleanly. Um, and that will help the GM be able to identify that information. They'll know where they'll remember where it is in the book, you know, when they need to reference it. They'll be like, oh, yeah, that's like around page 50. Flip to page 50. Okay, there's what I'm looking for. Um, and that, uh, you know, just beyond pure volume of information that you give to the GM, because that's one of the things we could talk about is just giving the GM lots of stuff, lots of setting, lots of hooks, lots of, you know, different things mm -hmm. to build a campaign out of. Um, but like, you know, having having the core conceits of the game be important and presented as important. Um, is very useful to the GM because that, that they will latch onto that. Yeah. I find it useful in my writing process to like literally write it out like a thesis statement. What's the cool thing about this game? Like, what is this game about and what are you supposed to do? And then just making sure everything else follows along with that. <laughs> like when you're writing, yeah. you're going to, you're going to have to edit down a lot of stuff in your essay. This sentence doesn't fit your topic sentence. This paragraph doesn't belong here. This is a different essay entirely. Um, and you might find yourself having to change what your game's about a little bit, um, but I like to have that bit of direction. Sometimes I'll have a literal sticky note, like this is the game. Yeah. Make sure, make sure that this is what you're doing. That's really important. I actually, like, I I call it, I do the exact same thing and I, like, tell people to do that. And I'm, I'm to a degree surprised that others, that, like, especially newer designers, um, like don't think about things in that way and it's it's that like guiding light i call it like my golden question or something and it's yeah the sticky note i put it right at the top of my document it's usually like a question or a statement that's like this is the core this is the thing i want my game to do and then you just kind of keep going back to it it's like oh does a mechanic actually make it feel like my my golden question is like or my golden rule is making like players care about their inventory and then at some point down the line i'm i'm writing a mechanic or i just start writing something about like i don't know like what it's like oh like let's say it's like i start like oh i'd love to have a cooking mechanic in this and i'm typing it through and i go mm, is this actually working and then i go i was like does this how, like how does this get players to care about inventory and i go oh okay well then cooking my cooking mechanic needs to be about ingredients it needs to be meticulously about like do i have this thing and do i not and what happens yeah. and so it just kind of guides me to make sure that i'm keeping stuff in line with what's going on yeah very I, important i i i really really agree with that game design philosophy um and you that's kind of you you mentioned when we were in our email thread that the the topic of vestigial mechanics stood out to you that's that's kind of what i meant by that like are are you just adding are you adding skills in here because you think that that's what a game needs to do because other games have it or mm -hmm. is this a relic it is it is it the hip bones of a whale like it's there because you thought it should be there and it hasn't gotten phased out yet. You can take <laughs> it out and the whale will still work and it might work. Even, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how whale better. biology works, but it might work better. I'm sure if you take out some bones, whales will just work better. Yeah. <laughs> I could be God. 
Oh, that is true. Yeah, it's like DUI. I mean, that's real deprogramming. That's that's the like I tell people all the time. I say I love heartbreakers, right? And heart, I, I'm using this term. I don't know. I'll try and define it for listeners and for y'all. Do you know the term heartbreaker? Do you have your own definition of what a heartbreaker is? Everyone kind of does. That's why I am <laughs> kind of tossing around. My definition is vibes based. I don't. I don't have it in words. So if you yeah, have a definition, that's why. Yeah. <laughs> it's just. It's like usually. It's like the. Um. It. It comes from like the. I've played Pathfinder. I know the pro I like I love Pathfinder, but I can make it better. That's a heartbreaker to me. Is when you're like going into a design like that where you're like, oh, I love this, but I hate a lot of it actually, and I could do it better or something. And like it's that I don't know. Like the the term heartbreaker is sad because usually like you'll never finish it or it it bloats to no degree or nobody cares about it. But I see it as a sign of like of love like true love as mm-hmm. in like you're it is you, you love something so much you've got to do it and so it's like that's the like um i love to tell new designers like make your heartbreaker but make your heartbreaker really small right like it's like i'll encourage making it but know that it won't get done just get it out of your system essentially and, and finish making it and finish yeah like finish that's, making that's, a small... that's part of the heartbreaker thing to me is is that you're you're constantly trying to fix all the things that you find wrong with the game and you you fix and you fix and you fix and you fix and you never quite get there and you fix some more and you never quite get there yeah. so it just the the thing just continues to break your heart because yeah. it never quite gets to where you think it needs to be um yeah <laughs> but anyway and, no but like yeah it's <laughs> like it's that like... that said um rob schwab and i've heard other people say it too that you know Shadow of the Demon Lord is effectively Rob Schwab's fantasy heartbreaker. And it's an excellent game. And it's, it's very an big game. and robust. And it does lots of things. But it was like he took like the core DD and said, I want to make it dark and like disgusting and <laughs> like in your face. Yeah. And and he did that. Um, and for the quick quick note here, too, like we're extrapolating on the idea of a game that makes you care about inventorying. Please realize that we are not quoting things from the game. Yeah, um, the actual game, Paris Gondo. Like, check out the game. That's we're extrapolating good. ideas. We're not telling you what the game is about because a lot of what we're throwing out here is kind of half baked stuff that we're just using as weird examples. Um, that's so- good. That's a good <laughs> disclaimer. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but, but like the the heartbreaker thing of like decisional mechanics or deprogramming yourself to be like, I want to start designing a game. What do I do? It's like understanding. Hey, um, you know don't like again work on what's exciting to you work on what's new to you you might realize that you don't need a skill list even though you think all games need a skill list you don't need i like six stats even if the six stats are vastly different than what pathfinder has uh you're like no 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 i can fix it the problem is charisma i'm gonna have seven stats and I'm going to break charisma into three different ones and that'll fix the game finally. <laughs> I'm going to call uh, charisma Riz. It's totally different. It's totally <laughs> different. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. I, God, I, I really kind of lost it there. I love... Sorry, sorry. I interrupted. Right. <laughs> no, you got me thinking about Riz as a stat. Uh, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, I, you know, something that you can run across too, when you're in that, those early planning stages where you're kind of figuring out, like when you're talking about, like, if you're starting with mechanics, like you got me thinking when you said like, you know, how many skills is like, if I've, I've seen people talk about, you know, in, in 
Facebook groups and game design forums where they're like, well, I have, you know, five core core traits and each trait has like seven skills under it. And so that's 35 skills. Is that too many? And as soon as you ask that sort of a question, it's kind of telling you the answer um, because you are clearly concerned that you're pushing the boundaries and you're worried that, you know, like you're, you're taking it too far and something to, to think about is like what you, you know, like if you are starting to feel like that's too many, don't get me wrong. There are players out there that love a game with 50 skills, with 70 skills, with hundred skills. Um, if, but that's a particular audience, that's a, a subgroup of gamers that want that thing. And if you want to provide that, that's cool. But if you're starting to question whether, um, what you're doing with mechanical ideas is like, is that too many? Is this too complex? Um, then what you're, what you're telling yourself is it's bordering on that. And I'm worried that it's going to become that. And I'm worried because I don't want to do that because I'm not interested in designing the game that has too many skills. Um, so that's the point where you start thinking to rein it back in. Yeah, this, this example is targeted at me because I, <laughs> I so often I go, oh, I really want to make a game with a skill list. Like I just, I want to make games with skill lists. And then I start designing a game with a skill list and I go, oh, I hate this. I hate <laughs> making this. Um, but it's, you know, like I'm, I'm like, oh, here's a challenge. Or here's like an idea, and I, you know, I, I tend to start designing games, like I said, from the mechanical side, and I'll go, wow, do I hate this, actually? I think I do. I'm going to stop. And it's like, <laughs> I, oh, it's like a white whale. I want to make a game with 50 skills, but then that means I have to design, I, you know, write 50 skills that are unique in an interesting way, and I find myself in a horrible feedback loop, and I give up. <laughs> well, then, you, then you start playtesting it, and a player asks, why isn't there this skill? Or like you're like playing in there doing something that like, oh, oh, crap. I don't I don't have a botany skill. I don't have backwards <laughs> botany in my game. And that's, like, that's oh, what shit. happens to me with skills. Yeah, <laughs> it's I, I've now I've kind of I've gone down the route of I design a lot of games with um, I like threes and fours. That's my numbers. So I'm like either I have three of everything or I have four of everything because that's small <laughs> enough and it's good. So I go, all right, it's three stats. And then each of those stats have three skills or or three stats and three abilities or whatever. I go, you know, there's a four of this and four of that. So just a small number keeps me completely reined in. But then the other one is specifically at skills. I do a lot of players write their own skills. I go, if you think your character's good at botany, write it down. Uh, and then I don't got to worry about nothing. There's an infinite number <laughs> of skills now. I've cheated the system. <laughs> That's what I did with with Means of Magic. It's, yeah. it's a skill lets you do one succinct thing. And what really matters is like your overall your overall ability to do something. Uh, yeah. But you could, you could have backwards botany, I guess, if you wanted it in the game. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm, I, again, like from my point of view too, though, as a game designer and as a player, I'm much more interested in the story than I am with the mechanics. Um, mm -hmm. I, as a player um, and as a GM, I know it's a controversial thing, but I often will change rules to suit my, my current purposes uh, or ignore some so really yeah. when it comes down to it every little thing does not really matter to me anyway so <laughs> that that finds its way into my game design as well yeah I um oh this is a fun little question a little tangential but you bring it up yeah. how often do you as a designer feel like you you ignore your own rules that you've written and actually time. I'll say this this comes all into, the time cool 
<laughs> I, I, I can loop this back into like writing mechanics or as a designer working towards making sure campaign stuff is good because for me I write GM tools I use none of them when I run my own games <laughs> I, and I'm proud of the GM tools I write and I feel like this is a controversial opinion I, I've had just randos be like well then you shouldn't have written them and I'm like no they're probably helpful for other people I don't use them, you know, like, I don't. <laughs> I, I mean, I, as a teacher, I, I say things to my students all the time and I, and I, and I, and I do things with them all the time that I personally would not do. Like, <laughs> like as a language teacher, I tell them like, don't like when, when you're drafting, I want you to draft entirely in this, in our target language. I don't want you to rely on your, your first language as we're writing. And then when I'm writing, I will often be like, mm, how do I actually say this in this language? Well, I want to say this thing that I say in, in this language, but I want to put it in, in this one. Um, So I'm telling them skill, you know, do as I say, say not as, yeah. do as I say, not as I do. And <laughs> I guess when you when you get better at this game, you can do it the way you want to. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. <laughs> well, that's that's a that, that makes me think of um, a point that I've I've seen different people make, um, educators and the like, um, and I think I've seen it um, best expressed by um, Neil deGrasse Tyson, who talked about like you know the idea that you you learned. Um, what sines and cosines are, or you did, uh, you know, factor, you know, uh, you, you work, you know, you learn how factorials work or you, you know, whatever, like some, something like, you know, the, the whole, the joke that well, like, you'll never use this in real life. You, you, you'll learn this thing in high school or college and you never use it in real life. But what's happening is you're learning to think critically. You're learning to take steps. You're learning to a process of, of solving a problem in a, you know in different you know mathematics has a certain way of solving problems linguistics has another way of solving problems and you're learning all of these things and in game design you're doing some of that too where you're giving information to the gm and the players but we're speaking more to the gm kind of stuff right here as gm tools and things in the game that are useful to gms where you can be giving all of this information about the setting even if you or some random um uh, GM is going to homebrew their own setting or not use any of the stat blocks that are provided there. And they're going to just wing it, or they're going to come up with their own stat blocks the way they want to, or kind yeah. of in line with how you do stat blocks or whatever, but you're giving them the tools in the game and, and always kind of keep that in mind when you're designing is you're giving them things that they can use to learn how to GM this game, even if they're not going to use the information directly out of the book. Yeah. Like, uh, I, like, I think about mysteries with, with this, where it's like uh, every kind of mystery game, any game that has to do with mysteries will have different, slightly different ways of how you should run a mystery, right? They're like, oh, I mean, you know, there's overall great advice, but it's you, you play a gumshoe system versus you play, um, oh, maybe, like uh, Monster of the Week is often mystery, right? Like these are vastly different systems and 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 topics but they're all it's mystery and you're like okay cool uh, brindlewood bay is a mystery game right like they all do different things they all mechanically and they'll all be like this is how i think you should run a mystery but it's like it's essentially just 
like what I get out of that and what I like reading about that is these different authors and designers telling you, this is how I run it. This is how I like to, this is how I think a mystery feels good when, when it's at the table, but like ultimately you got to find your own way of doing it. And sometimes it's like, Oh, I don't like how this game tells me to run a mystery, but like, like I, I like the system, but I don't like their advice on how to do it. So I'll just, run it my own way but it still kind of plays in it and it's yeah it's it's the uh, uh a lot of gm advice or how i like to write gm advice is a lot of this is how i run the game not necessarily like this is how i have run the game and it's very open about like my own way of doing it in like this is what's helpful for me and what i like to prep or what i think is helpful to prep uh but ultimately go off right like if, if it doesn't work for you it doesn't work for you there's no like there's no like wrong way to prep a session in this game or something it, it's it's a recipe you're giving them you're giving them some steps and if they're if they're good or confident enough in their own skills they're gonna substitute stuff and they're mm -hmm. going to change the way things are prepped they're gonna skip steps they're gonna add steps whatever it ends up being um, but having the recipe does give you a way to say like, well, if it went wrong and you did it very differently than me, you substituted the, the eggs in what is this it? cake yeah. recipe for, <laughs> I don't know, what? <laughs> whatever you substituted Egg it for. Eggplant. Egg <laughs> and, and the cake didn't turn out well. Well, I didn't tell you to do that. So yeah. That's not my fault. It's it's almost what is that like self assurance or something or yeah. uh, hitting hitting that cooking and inventory thing we've been talking about is like oh, the, G yeah. the the GM stuff that you're providing in the game is you're effectively providing here are the ingredients of what this game is, and here are some ways to mix those ingredients together, and you want to have a lot of this and a little bit of that, but you can you know the GM can mix that stuff in different ways and they can leave some ingredients out and still have a game that kind of does the core the core of of what you know it's about um as long as as long as like you've made it clear that like okay these three things sticking with uh, Vidadia's love of threes these three things are really really core like this is this these are the three things that are going to be at the core of the game and then there's these other four things that could be part of that too um and then the GM decides which of the four they're going to use and they keep all three and you you know you you've given them that material that information and that's one of those things that can be at the beginning of the game design is figuring out what those few things are that are really really core um and what are the things that are kind of peripheral to that um like uh for 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 die laughing where you're playing um characters in a horror comedy movie and you're all gonna die um i don't give them i don't give a setting like basically the, the core of that game is like you're you're playing a character in a horror comedy movie everybody's going to die the mechanics are very simple and they are countdown clock to your death um that is the whole the, the core of the game is as long as you're doing that you're doing it all right but you're well or at least according to kind of my game as intended you can butcher it and hack it and turn it and twist it and turn it into anything you want i don't care um but but you know, for example, I don't give a big setting because it's like, well, you're going to figure that setting out. You're going to decide what it is for the particular game session that you're running. But what is central and, and important is latching onto horror movie tropes that'll help to kind of flavor the game the right way. And it's, it, 
it's talked about a couple times in the text. And then in an appendix, there's a giant list of horror movie tropes. So even people who don't watch a lot of horror movies or who won't necessarily haven't necessarily thought about the repeating tropes of horror, horror movies, um, or, or just, you know, aren't coming up with something on the spot can be like, well, I want to insert something, just go to the list. Like, oh yeah, we can do this thing. Like make sure that, you know, somebody goes off by themselves. Um, and that, you know, that always ends poorly. <laughs> like that's, it has to end poorly in a horror movie when somebody, when, when the group splits up. Right. So um, you, that, that that's just those things that, and those were core conceits that kind of were at the beginning of designing that iteration of the game. Cause it went through a number of iterations, but when I kind of hit on what it was about that, that's where it went. Um, and then also speaking to like, you know, the, 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 the golden statement, the, the, the thing that you're the guiding force, that was something I kept coming back to when I was designing the game. It's like, is, is everything I'm doing going to help to kill characters in fun and interesting ways and keep it horror movie and funny? I, the, the tropes list and things like, you know, talking about um, how do you design to help start a campaign and how do you design to help that is like, I, I'm a big fan of um, as like a, whenever I have to GM, like that's always really helpful for me is the like, oh, does, did, did you give me something that helps me just like keep things within, you know, I don't, I don't get too out there. Or I don't need to worry about stuff. It's like, I can just kind of worry about all I got to focus on is the the players and the moment. And if I, there's a smidge of I'm like, Oh, I don't know what I should do here. There's a bad role happens. I can just kind of look and be like, okay, cool. Um, oh yeah. You know, you get separated. You, um, I don't know, something more specific also right to the genre and things but those are really helpful I enjoyed that a lot they're they're also just really easy when you're making your game too to come up with a list of tropes just making sure that you understand what cool things in the genre work for you specifically finding that cool thing of the you really like in a horror movie when the old man says don't go over there don't go in there <laughs> yeah and then they go anyway you love that make a game around that like those are all fun ways to explore things that you already have a good sense of and then pulling the stuff out that you love and throwing everything else away. Mm-hmm. I think too that uh, kind of coming full circle back around to what we were talking about early on where if you're if you're if the game setting or theme is too broad like looking at tropes and figuring out okay which tropes am I going to embrace um and maybe am I going to invent some thematic elements that aren't necessarily tropes of this particular type of fiction um, or story that I'm going that I'm going to incorporate um you know uh, that can help you to refine what the game is going to be about and help to give you those guiding principles um and then you know that be, that feeds into like making sure that you're always kind of addressing those and always um, re- kind of reiterating that these are important and that helps the GM kind of wrap their head around the way the game you know is uh, structured and and what what types yeah. of stories you're telling with it. So you know if you're adventuring, well, what what sort of adventuring are you are you? That's a, that's a very broad thing. Well, it's going to be adventuring with a purpose. The characters have their, they have goals. Well, what are the goals? The goals are going to be overcoming, you know, like, um, um, like uh, overcoming, overcoming what? I said, like, you have debt. Like, you're <laughs> sure. adventuring because you need to pay off 
something so it's like sure and then cool. okay so well stories of now this starts to get into like there are there are there are stories that like okay there are tropes associated with that like does that mean you have like a mobster type or somebody that's like holding something over you or is your family being threatened like okay well all of a sudden maybe that's an important part of the game is that your character is doing these things because they're being motivated by this debt and there's the threat of of danger or harm to someone that they love um, and now you have to, you know, in the game design, okay, well, who is this person? What is their relationship to me? And not just for like players to latch onto, but maybe there's something mechanical about that. Like maybe the, the like if, if you have managed to keep the, uh, the mobster or the, the blackmailer or, or whoever at bay and made them happy because you succeeded in the last mission, maybe that means that you, things are better for you. This, you have more confidence that your loved one is in um, is, is, is not in immediate danger is, is in a safer position. And that maybe gives you some sort of a benefit in the game where you're like, you're confident, you're not worried. You're not second guessing yourself. Um, whereas like if you screwed up <laughs> in the game, uh -oh. like, well, maybe now there's a mechanical thing that says, well, now I'm like, I gotta be really, really careful. I'm not going to take risks. I'm going to do things that are safe and I'm going to maybe suffer penalties over worry. Um, um, of just being concerned. And I have to deal with that challenge of being a little bit hamstrung by my own emotions and, and concern over my, my loved one's um, situation until I kind of get my confidence back and get my footing back. So that, I mean, that's just brainstorming an idea of like why you're adventuring and, and, and marrying it to an idea of, of some sort of mechanic that has emotional resonance, but can also actually have effects on dice. That's um, and that will tell you a lot when the GM reads that they'll be like, "Oh, this is clearly like, this is out of out of the ordinary for a quote unquote adventuring game." There's an emotional contingent uh, to uh, or, you know com emotional component to what what's happening here, and um, you know the 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 kind of secondary topic of like what can designers do to help form campaign play and get that started as quick and easy i that immediately goes into the like uh like to me games that help me immediately understand what a campaign can be like or i can see long-term play and i'll i'll, I'll leave a disclaimer to me long-term play is like 10 sessions i love <laughs> like a, i'm like oh 10 sessions we got a full story there like we can have a midpoint at five sessions we can have character arcs within so that, that's my framework but you know this is also year year-long campaigns too but it's like i like games that design um within your character creation and 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 all that kind of session zero stuff is like uh creates characters creates connections and like creates locations so you're like ooh, like a, a debt system so i'm like oh this this like, you know, adventuring because you have people, you have debts or you have all these things like, I'm like, oh, okay. Like that's a campaign because you can be like, all right, here are all these different little things pulling together as a GM. I feel like I would be able to get out of this. Like, oh, I have these characters. I have these problems. I have these uh, relationships that can intertwine with each other immediately. Uh, and, and you can kind of see that moving forward they're all little things that will start getting people to think oh this gives me an idea like anything that you have in there that sparks an idea is going to be good for that mm -hmm. 
Um, I also love relationship systems. I've been thinking about some of my favorite ones. Well, we've been having this conversation ever since you talked about the relationship matrix. I've been like, ooh, hold on a yeah. second. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I, uh, we, we've talked about a lot of stuff. This was a huge topic and there's Mm -hmm. so much more. I I really like that. We, we decided to kind of like, just go a little bit more with the flow for this episode because we, we covered a wide range of advice or just like conversation and discussion of this idea of starting a game up. Um, and, uh, thank you so much for being on our, our show again to do that with us. um are, do you have any final thoughts to wrap us up today Ooh, or perhaps know. three or four three yeah. or four final thoughts <laughs> i don't know when it when it comes to just starting a new design i i i think the one thing that i like to say is just kind of do it uh, it's it's not great advice but it's like you know what's the worst you do you make a bad game that's fine make a you'll make a better one next time right like so as long as you're thinking about the thing that excites you you know that's we talked a lot about like focus on the thing that excites you and if it doesn't work you can always come back to it you know you can always try something later and i don't think there's a wrong way to do it no um you know like you don't don't feel beholding if you're starting a first game or you're doing your second one like you can start that second one very different from the first one you can start your first one different from anything you've ever heard anybody talk about, like whatever seems to work for you, whatever gets you, as as we have said a few times, gets you excited and gets it kind of gets the ball rolling and kind of um, helps you to start pinning down some of those initial ideas and those those rules that you're going to follow for the for the game design and, and the development of what the story is about and what the characters do and so forth. Um, there's there's really no wrong way to do it. I've done it a few different ways. I'm sure that there's a hundred ways that I've never done it. Um, Vidithia, where we can work, Vidithia, where can we find you on the internet? Where can you plug your stuff for us? Oh yeah, of course. Uh, you can find me online uh, at uh, Vidithia Valetti, my first and last name, basically everywhere. Um, and you can find my games at vidithiavaletti.itch.io, uh, and that's uh, kind of it. Yeah, I'm, that please find me there I'm, I'm easy to find which is nice um you can find me uh at wannabegames.com or on itch or drive through rpg under the same name wannabe games and i'm at nerdburger craig on twitter and also on dice camp on mastodon um my website is nerdburgergames.com and the games are all at drive through rpg uh the capers cyberpunk kickstarter launches on tuesday september 12th so by the time this episode comes out it will be less than a week to go um so yay wow (laughs) i've been i've been doing quite a bit of layout and work on stuff this morning actually thank you to our opening and closing theme song which is avel by steph sacks licensed under creative commons and thank all of you for listening and we'll see you back here next time bye-bye bye